All right, so um, Amy Joe, could you help me with something? I'm always forgetting. I, I left my board in case I need it. It's in the hall. If you could wheel that in, that would be great. It'd be a little awkward if I just left the, if, if I wasn't on a camera, I would just say, excuse me, and I go drag it in here, but I'm on camera, so that would be weird. All right, so um, last week we got together. That was a really good question that, that Pam, um, Pam brought uh, regarding the book of Luke, and that uh, was a good long discussion. Oh, I didn't mean it to go so long. I think we went about an hour. So how many of you, were you guys, were you here last week? So, okay, so we got in it. We delve into some of the issues of why we use the King James Bible and all that, uh, which was interesting. But uh, <clears throat> we had another question on the docket, but they're not here. So I hope someone else has a question because we're in QA mode. <clears throat> and, uh, and so uh, one of the things about, look at that. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of stuff there. Luke chapter 23. The scenario, the sayings, and the superscription. Wow, that looks like Jeff Trude was doing something cool. So, <clears throat> that was Sunday. Sunday. There's got to be a magic way to flip this thing. Here we go. Jeff, you always sneak up on me. I don't know you're here. What are all these numbers? What are all the numbers up here? Awesome. That is so cool. That is neat. <clears throat> the probability. So it's miraculous. Yep. All of the prophecies being fulfilled. This mathematically is practically an impossibility. Well, practically it is an impossibility. That's why it's miraculous. All right. So <clears throat> this was last week's discussion. Um all right, so we don't have to use the light board, but it's good every so often. All right, so any questions tonight? Um, since uh, my man didn't come with the question from last week, I'm not pointing at Chris, but not to you, Chris. Uh, I'm kind of flat-footed tonight. Is there any uh, any other any questions? Anybody got any questions for me tonight, or are we just going to have to wrap it up and go at home? So Pam had a good one last week. You got another one? Hold that, hold that in case somebody else. So the thing about QA uh, is you got to read and study a little bit to, to have a QA Bible study, meaning if we're not in the Word, we're not going to have questions about the Word. But uh, And so anybody uh, have any questions? Maybe it's a concept. Yeah, oh, we got two. Awesome. <clears throat> so uh, it is kind of hard. I do need to preface this. I need to say this. And um, No questions, dumb or stupid. So uh, just, you know, we're not going to like go, well, don't you know that? That's just not how we roll. Um, and uh, the only question that's dumb is the one you don't ask, right? So um, excuse me here. I'm looking. Uh, I got some paperwork in my Bible, which you should never keep papers in your Bible because it breaks down the binding. <clears throat> but I do it anyway because it's super convenient. All right. secret pen holder. All right, so <clears throat> I'm going to start over here to my left. So Chris, you go to, okay, you, you go. Cody, right? Huh? Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, that's a really good question. So 
<clears throat> just so people, I should have given you the mic so they could hear online. If you're joining us online or in the back even, <clears throat> uh, the question is tithing. Why is it important? And uh, where is it biblically? Because you know you need to do it, but like where in the Bible does that say that? So that's a really good question. So um, before I take a stab at that, anybody got a got any any comments about that? Want to run that down? Yeah, Belinda. It's in the Old Testament. Yeah, it is in the Old Testament. Where's it at in the New Testament? So it does say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God. Yeah, it's taxes. So it's not really a tithe so much. <clears throat> uh, it does mention in the, in the Gospels, it's a tithe and mint. And, and so uh, so that's good. Um, well, let's go look at the, you know, one of the principles of Bible study is uh, first mention. And so you always want to look up, you want the, the principle of first mention is important. And so the first mention of the word tithe, it's found back in Genesis. And uh, hang on here, I'm looking for my spectacles. Um, <clears throat> it's with Abraham. And uh, when he is blessed, after going down and recovering his brother-in-law, um, or not his brother-in-law, his nephew from Sodom, um, uh, after they were taken captive, um, he meets with a fellow named Melchizedek. And uh, I'm looking for the, the passage exactly. Is it 14? There it is, yeah. It's on the upper right side of the page in my Bible. So um, if I don't know the chapter and verse, I do know where it's located. Uh, okay, so um, <clears throat> let's just pick this up. This is your first mention of the word tithe in the Bible, and it's in Genesis 15. Um and we're going to just pick it up in verse 17. So the story is, just to kind of back it up, so Abraham, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a regional war that takes place, and it's a, big, it's a big deal. I mean, so Sodom and Gomorrah, before you know God torched it, um, was a, just a really affluent, uh, very you know, luxurious place. And so uh, um, this, this confederate king... Uh, uh, Chedlamor and king of Elam and Tidal, king of the nations, and, and uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elessar, uh, four kings with five. And uh, they, they were, there was a confederate army that came down, <clears throat> and uh, when you go back and look at it, an attack, um, um, it was the king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elessar, Chedlamor, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations. They made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, with Bersha, the king of Gomorrah. So this is like this isn't a small little conflict. This is like they're going to war. You know, all the, all the. This is a regional conflict, and everybody's got to pull their resources together. And they're coming down to this fertile area, and uh, they come down from the north out of modern day Iraq, and and they come after them, and they and they take you know, and you don't hear anything about Abraham. He's just like oh. He's just some shepherd dude, you know, he's just got this, you know, he's just running around, Genesis chapter 12, be bopping through, you know, the Middle East, you know, just kind of, you know, following God's will, just a shepherd guy. This, I love that, I, I just love this chapter because, um, this has nothing to do with tithing, I just love this, this story, because uh, in this story, uh, all of a sudden, Lot gets taken, and it's like a movie, you know, it's like the, you know, 
It's like the dude who's just mild-mannered, you know, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, you mess with his family. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, here's this Mr. Shepherd dude. And, I mean, it just, the reason this hit the strikes me is that just one day I was reading just my daily reading. And it just blew off the page. I'm just like, whoa, what in the world? And this guy's got the, he doesn't have a child. He's childless. But he does know how to train up his servants. And he's got a lot of them because God's blessing him. And so... Um, what happens is, um, um, and it's really just a short little, let's back up to verse 13, because I just want you to see this. This has nothing to do with tithing. I'm just excited about the text. It says, and there came one of the, one of them that had escaped. This is, uh, uh, they took Lot, Abram's brother, verse 12, and, and who dwelled in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, uh, the Hebrew, <clears throat> for he dwelled in the plain of Mamre, and uh, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner, and and uh, these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And, I mean, that's just like a verse. But when you look at what happened, and this is like these big armies, and they're, and they're confederate, these kingdoms, they got lots of money, they obviously got lots of probably weaponry and resources, and they get stuck in the slime pits, strategic error, blah, blah, blah. All this is going on. And then there's this shepherd dude with 300 servants, and you don't, and you don't even know he's a warrior. You just think, well, he's just some Abraham man. He's out, you know, he's got his staff in his hand, and he's got his tent, and he's out, you know, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, just boom, one verse is like, what? Lot? Lot's been taken? Well, wait, we can't have this. Let me get my 300 trained servants, and they chase the army, a Confederate army, all the way to Dan. So I don't know if they had like angels riding with them or what, but 300 men put to flight this, this army. Dan is a long way from there. I've looked it up on a map, how far that would have been from Sodom. So they're chasing to the other side of Israel, but near the Mediterranean. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. So that's what was going on. That's the context historically. And, uh, and not only that, it says that they got all the goods back and all that. So this is about stuff. And so I'm going to tie it all in. We'll get all this wrapped together. So it is about stuff. What's important, what's important to Abraham is not stuff. It's people. He's already proved that. Abraham's like, hey, uh, you know, Lot's like, hey, man, our, 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 uh, you know, our herdsmen are fighting with each other. Uh, we'll, you know, we're going to have to divide up. And then Abraham doesn't say, well, I'm glad you brought that up. I was noticing I need to go over here to the plains of Sodom where it's really luscious and I can feed my sheep. And after all, I am the elder and I'm the leader, so... You take back seat, I get the front seat, and I'm going to the most fertile. Abraham doesn't do that. <clears throat> He's like, well, what do you want? Of course, we know Sodom is what he chose, or the plains of Sodom. And he chose that luscious area that's now the Dead Sea. And he rolls down there, and, uh, and of course, it ruins his life, ultimately. Um, and Abraham is like, you know what? Godliness with contentment, someday it'll be written. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So I'm just going to roll with God and be happy with what God's given me. And continue as I've been promised and go forward. And that's, of course, what he does. He's more about people. All of a sudden, Lot is, Lot is the one that's taken captive. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, what? And so these, trained, these servants in his house, these guys that were helping tend to his sheep, were also able to tend to business when it came to war. And these, were, these dudes were serious, obviously, serious warriors. So he had some sort of warfare thing going on in addition to sheep herding. And so <laughs> it's kind of like another guy that comes along later named David. I don't know if there was some secret Hebrew, you know, MMA fighting techniques going on or what, but these dudes were bad boys. 
And, uh, and so all of a sudden, bam, he's, he's on it, and he's, he's putting these guys to flight. And so, um, so we see that there's a lot of stuff involved in verse 15. It says, He divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. That's Syria. So he goes all the way up to Syria. And he brought back all the goods. Notice this. He brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And so he brought back the, the stuff, but he brought back the people with it. And this is where the story gets interesting. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedlamor. I don't know if that's how you say it. That's how I pronounce it. Um, I, I don't know if anyone really knows how to pronounce that properly. And the kings, <clears throat> and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva. Uh, it sounds like a Hindu god, which is the uh, king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now that's a can of worms we could get into. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And uh, blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine armies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes, first mentioned in verse 20, of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me uh, the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from, uh, a, uh, take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, uh, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, uh, Mamre, let them take their portion. So, here we see the first mention of tithes, or tithe, which simply means, what does tithe mean? Let's just start with the word tithe. What does it mean? Tenth. Yeah, it just means tenth. That's a Hebrew word. It means tenth. So he gave a tenth. And notice who he gives it to. He gives it to this priest. Um, now, is there a priest? It's an interesting thing. He's a priest. So there's no priesthood of Aaron yet because there's no Moses. There's no law of Moses. This is before the law. So a lot of people, getting back to your question directly, you know, they say, well, see, tithing is in the Old Testament. So we don't need to do it in the New Testament because that's an Old Testament principle of the law, which it is, because it was brought forward from Genesis chapter 14. But it is a New Testament principle. It's a good place to start. Um, and so um, our principle is Romans chapter 12. Uh, so it's a whole other issue, which is your whole self. Just give everything to the Lord. But when it comes to goods and possessions, we follow this pattern of tithing. And so it isn't a law. We're not under the law. We're free. So technically, I'm just going to blow your mind. You don't have to tithe. We just do it because it's a good thing to do. If you can do that under the law, which is least, which, which only Jesus could fulfill, then now that we're free from the law, we should do that and more. And that's, so that's how we view it. That's a short answer. Um, and so in the New Testament, you do find it in the Gospels in regard to the nation of Israel tithing. But once you get into the Pauline epistles, you, you are not going to find the word tithe. So a lot of my brothers will say, well, see there, the word tithe is not in the New Testament. Therefore, we don't need to tithe. We don't need to give 10%. To which I would say, well, you don't have to do anything. You know, you don't have to do nothing. So um, you don't, right? All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. 
So Paul says, give, give with a, an abundant heart. So the way we roll with tithing <clears throat> in this church is um, it's a great place to start, but we don't want to stop there. Um, and so even our own church budget, we go over a tithe. Just I'd like to grow it beyond that. And our, really, our church does go beyond that because in addition to tithes, we give like 13% to missions, and then we have people that give over and above that to missions. So a lot of we do give away a lot more uh, than many churches for sure, but it's not about comparing ourselves with ourselves. That's not wise. But the point is simply, um, you know, to, a tithe is a good place to start when it comes to giving. So when I was a young man, um, I had this modeled for me, <clears throat> and I went through lesson 10 of our discipleship, and, and it was dealing with tithing and giving. And the very things I just brought forth, uh, you know, we talked about. And so, uh, again, let me just, before I jump off into my testimony, let me take you to the New Testament and give you a couple more verses to consider. And, and uh, Belinda was exactly right that in the New Testament we are to give. We're to not only give to, you know, back to the Lord, we're to give to, you know, Caesar what's Caesar. So pay your taxes, you know, do all that. Um, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But then uh, <clears throat> go back to Second uh, um, Corinthians chapter eight. There's a lot of great principles in regard to giving in the in the both first and second Corinthians. But Second Corinthians eight is a great example of giving. Uh, this is more to a specific uh, kind of a, a humanitarian type of need going on in the church of Jerusalem. But you see a pattern here that Paul really uh, extols and exalts uh, for Christians to follow. And he says in verse uh, 1 of uh, 2 Corinthians 8, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, we, don't, we do use the word liberal and liberality, but we don't typically use it in the context of giving. And uh, what would that mean? What is, what is he talking about when he says, uh, it abounded unto the riches of their liberality? This is 2 Corinthians 8 3. Anybody got a stab at that? Does that mean they vote, you know, they vote for progressive agendas all the time or what? <laughs> so liberal you think about something. The, the Bible says in Proverbs, the liberal soul shall be made fat. Right? So that means, and that's a, in a good tense, a good context. So the liberal soul, someone who has a a gracious soul will be will be blessed is really what that's saying. Will be made fat. Will will not starve, right? And so, liberality means is uh, the, is simply what it means is to be um, liberated, free. Their freedom is is so. It says they're in all of this. They have great trial of affliction, but the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality, their freedom, their freedom to give. That's what he's talking about. <clears throat> and so verse 3 says, For the, to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Uh, he, and, and I'm just going to pause right there. Um, uh, so he says, man, we, they, these guys, were, they were going over and above what we could ask or think. I mean, these pe people are uh, wanting to give us a gift, and uh, they're like they're beseeching us, they're imploring us, they're like they're like God, you got to take it, you got to take it, and they're like, well, you guys, I mean, come on, man, I mean, we're asking you to give, but you don't have to break your bank to do this. Just give, as he later states, give the, out of what you have, not what you have not. He's not asking them to 
you know, go upside down and backwards here. Uh, and and they, are, they are like, no, take the gift. And look what he says after that in verse 5. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So there's a principle here, which I mentioned already in Romans chapter 12. And Paul points out that these people were able to give well beyond their means because they gave of themselves. They, gave the, their, they were given personally over to the Lord. And that's more of a New Testament model. Later on in the chapter, in the next chapter, the verse that many of us know in regard to, uh, to giving, um, I think it is there. Yeah, verse 7. Um, <clears throat> well, verse 6. But I say, there, here, here's the principle that Paul kind of, after you could, it'd be worth reading the whole chapter, but for time's sake, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot more giving principles as you go through chapter 8. But you get to chapter 9, and Paul kind of is summarizing it down and turns the tables back to the Corinthians, this affluent, wealthy church that has resources. And he says, hey, guys, uh, I want you to give. Uh, I want you to do what you said you would do, right? Not according to what you don't have, but according, you, according to what you do have, what you said you would do. Uh, and so he says down in uh, verse, I'll just start in verse 1. He says, first, touching the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. For, for I know for the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them at Macedonia, that Achaia was ready uh, a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So he's, he's reminding them that, hey, we know that you guys are all about giving. You've broadcast it. And uh, in Achaia, which is that region where Corinth was in Greece, He's like, we've been telling everybody in Macedonia, and that's what got them so fired up, right? So you guys, your, your, words, your words about giving have fired everybody up to the point that these Macedonians are giving way over above their ability somehow by the grace of God. They gave it themselves, you know, and now we're like, whoa, uh, the widow's might, man. These people are really, you know, they're giving. And so, and it's provoked very many, he said in verse 2. Then he says this, Yet I have sent uh, the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that I said ye may be ready. So he's like, Now I know what you said you was going to do, <laughs> but now when we come with the brethren, especially the ones from Macedonia, you kind of need to put up or shut up. Because you've already shot off your mouth about what you're going to give. And now we got people coming, and these guys are real givers. So uh, I'm not saying you're not, but don't be, don't, don't, you know, it's been a year, so you should have things in order by now. So what you said you could do a year ago, have it ready this year. Uh, because these folks from Macedonia, we do not want to discourage our brothers because they think the world of you. We, we don't want you to be diminished in their eyes because they've done so, the Lord has used you to, to, to bless them. And so he's like, be ready. And so he says in verse 4, Lest happily if the day of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared... Comma, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up the beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. And so he's emphasizing bounties, and I want you to give what you have. Right? We don't need your money, but we want you to give bountifully for the benefit of others, both in Jerusalem and for the benefit of the Macedonians. Verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So he brings up the farming principle, right? If you don't sow, you won't have anything, right? You won't reap. So he's like saying, 
you know, give, as we like to say around here, give as the Lord has blessed you. Uh, but if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly, right? You sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Verse 7. And this is the one that's on all the giving things that we all put out in the New Testament, right? Every man, according, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And, don't forget verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. All right? So he's saying God is able to take care of you, you if you just take care of the purposes that he's you know, given you to take care of. So getting back to your original question, some of you guys have come in since we started. The question was tithing. You know, why is it important? I, I hear it's always important. I know it's important. That means you're, I mean, I don't mean this wrong, but if you don't know where it's at in the Bible, then you're doing it. Uh, it's good to be obedient, but it's really good to know what the Bible says because you don't want to follow traditions of men. Just because I say it doesn't mean anything. What does the Bible say? Once God says it, it's everything. You see what I'm saying? So uh, I don't want anyone in our church to give because I say so or because it's a good thing to do. I want people to give because it's what God wants us to do. You see? And there's a big difference. And we know why God wants us to do it. Okay, so in my own, exam- in my own testimony, I'll just share a little bit of my own testimony. Uh, when I was a little boy, little before I was a Christian, my grandfather, uh, who was also a Christian, um, but uh, he was telling me, not, not wasn't about tithing. He never taught me to tithe. But he said, Brian, you need to save every dime, and you will be a rich man someday. Just save, save one dime out of every dollar. Save 10% of your income. You'll be rich. And, uh, and then he came from the, he, you know, gra- he uh, graduated. He uh, retired from Armco Steel. So he started the Sheffield Steel back in the probably 30s, retired in the 70s, you know. And he did do well. He was a very, uh, he was an entrepreneur kind of guy. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm a little tykester, you know, I'm like, okay, grandpa, whatever. And, uh, you know, so, but I always kept that in the back of my mind. And then, uh, and then I got saved and, and my father, spiritual father in the Lord, um, Earl, who led me to Christ, sat me down. Now Earl has a quite a, a good testimony in regard to, uh, investing in the plains of Sodom versus, uh, and his story of salvation is, is intertwined with his his toys, right before he was saved, and his his uh, his desire to drive Corvettes and race Corvettes and buy stuff, and you know turn a buck, you know uh, that's that's who he was, and um, and so um, and he had a you know he was over engineering at Dart Truck. That's where he met Don Lane. Those of you that know Don Lane, Don Lane was his, a student that he hired there. And, and that's eventually how he got to KCBT and got saved, and then I got saved. But anyway, what he was doing before Christ wasn't working for him. Let's just, I'll just summarize his testimony. So money and possessions and toys and Corvettes uh, and all that was not, it just wasn't doing it. As a matter of fact, it wasn't doing it so much that his marriage was on the rocks to the point that they thought they were going to be divorced. As a matter of fact, they were both wanting to be divorced. So it was just a matter of time, right? And then one day he gets saved. Uh, and then he goes in to take his wife in, you know, Roman Catholic. She's not going to get saved. And what do you know? She gets saved. And all of a sudden, he's, they're stuck. You know, they're like, well, the Bible tells us we can't go anywhere. So they learned how to be married and are in Christ uh, and uh, go forward. But, you know, one of the things that happened around that time is he lost his job. 
uh, in, the, in the industry, as he liked to call it, industry. And all he could find was this terrible job at a school. And the last thing you want to do is be like a vocational teacher at a high school somewhere. So, uh, but you know what? God took and dried up all of his money. And this is after he got saved. And so he had to take this job because he had to work. He had bills. And so he took this job, you know. And uh, he didn't really want this job. didn't pay like he's used to, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so that leads to me. One day, 1987, I get saved. And uh, he's sitting down at his kitchen table, and he's walking me through his testimony, talking about, and guess what? He, was, he retired as that teacher, as an instructor. Uh, and so, so uh, he's sitting down at the table, and he's walking me through his testimony, and he taught me some really important principles about giving. And that's why I bring him up, because I think the reason it's been easy for me is because I was your age. Or, how old are you now, 20? So I was, I was 17, but not too far away. So I was 16, 17, turned 17, and he sat me down at his kitchen table, and I knew this much about tithing. I never even, I didn't know what the word tithe even meant, seriously. And so we went through Lesson 10, and we started talking about it, but what we really got into was the fact, and this is, is what exactly what uh, 2 Corinthians 9 is saying right here, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And one of the things that Earl told me that I never forgot, he's like, Brian, God owns everything. And that's, amen. And he says, you know what? He wants you to give back to him. And it, again, just like I told you guys, a tithe's a great place to start. But I haven't always been obedient there. So you know what I found out is that if I don't give it willingly, God will take it some other way. And so for, and this is from a guy who, who counts his beans pretty good. And he knows where the beans are at. And, uh, and so he realized that he saw a pattern in his own life. And he said, you know what? When I, didn't, when I wasn't obedient to give, of course, a tithe or more, guess what? I lost a tithe or more. It didn't matter. God was going to get a tithe out of me no matter what I did. And, uh, and you know what? I remembered that, and I listened to that. Because you know what I was learning? I remembered what my grandfather told me when I was a little boy. And that ten, every dime out of every dollar. And man, God just drilled that down in my heart. So you know what I started doing? I started, I started going out, and uh, I get paid, and uh, I took my cash out, and uh, I just started, I just started putting it in an envelope every week, and ten uh, percent, whatever I got in, went right out. And then the qu- next question comes in: Well, should you do gross or net, right? <laughs> and so. I'd say, do whatever God leads, leads you to do. I do gross. Earl said, I do gross. I'm like, well, I'll do gross. Does he, you know the difference between gross and net? I hope you guys do. I think we just had a pressure change. My ears started ringing. And so gross is, you know, before taxes. Net is after taxes. And you can argue with me and say, well, it's the first fruits of thine increase, and Uncle Sam takes this much. So whatever you want to do. You can talk to J.B. Slicester about that. He did an incredible devotion last year on what we really ought to be given. And uh, it will it'll make you repent. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, if you did it like they did in the Old Testament, certainly gross. Gross is the 10%. But the point here is that I'm getting back to is there is no law in the New Testament. We're free. You don't, if you don't feel like salvation is worth a tithe, then, well, take it up with Jesus, you know. Um, I would submit to you that 
we ought to be like George Mueller and give everything and live on 10%. You know, that would be a better, if we were going to do this and what we really, what, how it ought to go, it's like, okay, God, do you have everything? And I'll, I'll live on, if I make 50000 a year, I'm going to live on 5000 Now, of course, I know it's hard to live on 5000 a year. But that's, that's the attitude we ought to have is like, God, you get it all. Can you just give me a tenth to live on? Because you deserve everything. And so, um, and so no, uh, I think 10% is a good, great pattern. It's a precept. It's before the law in the Old Testament. So for those that say, well, it's the Old Testament, it's in the law, it's not something in the New Testament, I would say, yeah, but it's also a principle that is, though it's, bef- it's before the law, right? Uh, there's a lot of principles that we still uh, adhere to uh, from uh, the, t- the law and the times before the law because this is a progressive revelation. But not all. I'll grant, I'll grant you that because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. He's abolished the law. So now it's just the law of Christ. So the tithe then becomes a precept, a principle by which we operate. And uh, I think it's a good baseline to operate from. And so, you know, I would recommend though, I will tell you this, and the reason I bring this up to you in particular is because when you start young like I did, you don't miss it. I've never had to go through the, the pain and the agony of you know, using every available dollar in my income and then, and then cutting out 10% of my gross for the Lord. Because when I started at 17, I just did it. I just gave it away, I gave it back, you know. And I, want, I don't want to get into too much of, of giving stories beyond that. But uh, I can tell you this, the more you give, the more God will give you grace to give. And the more you try to outgive God, it's, it's like, it, is, it tests me. I mean, I can give you stories from this year, this calendar year, Maybe this month, I don't know. But when you try to, you try to, you, you think, man, Lord, I don't know if I've got it, but I'm going to give it. And I'm not getting charismatic here, and I'm not saying it gets stupid, but I am telling you, it is hard to outgive God. He blesses faithfulness. I've, I mean, I've, I'm, it's amazing. I mean, Amy and I could tell you stories how God does it. I mean, there's times we're like, man, I don't know, and then boom, here comes God, you know, again. And then He's testing you when He, when you get more, am I going to? tied on that right am i gonna if you get a bounty am i gonna what bountiful where am i gonna sow that bounty right to whom much is given much is required so you think it's easy to give until you got a lot to give and then you gotta let go of it right and so um so that's the test it's all about the heart it's all about the heart and can you trust him and of course we can trust him but it's easy to say but like paul said the corinthians well now that it's time to do right and so we've all been getting free money, which is not free, by the way. That's terrible, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, so that's great, man. We'll give it back to the Lord. And so as the Lord leads, it's pathetic, I mean, honestly. But anyway, I, I just hate to see us getting in debt. It's never good to be in debt, by the way. So borrow is, the borrower is servant to the lender. Does that answer your question? Any, okay. Um, is there any, I, and there's, I didn't like have an ex, I didn't have this all expounded. There's other verses we could add. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. And so, and, and just another verse, let me just, you know, I'll jump to that in a minute. Another verse that really helped me out in my own heart, this is kind of a devotional thought, is in Matthew 6. When I first got saved, I just happened to be in Matthew I just picked up the New Testament and started reading it. So I, and I remember getting to Matthew 6. And, um, and, and this passage is something that's hung with me my whole spiritual life. 
uh, Paul, or the Lord says in, in uh, Matthew 6 and verse 31, uh, well, I'm going to back it up to verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the, the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so mammon is the, the wealth of this world. So you have to make a decision as a Christian. Who am I going to serve? And so really this boils down to money. In this case, the context that we're talking about here. And even when you get a job, it boils, you take that job for money. In our culture, we're free. We're not slaves, so we get to choose jobs and stuff. <clears throat> and, and, but we actually sell ourselves for cash is what we do. And so, and so but we can't serve the cash. We've got to serve the Lord. We're the Lord's servant. We're, and when you're the Lord's servant, you're free. And so, uh, so you've got to make a decision. Am I going to serve the dollar or am I going to serve the Lord Jesus? Now, that does not mean serving the Lord Jesus means you don't make a dollar. God can bless you with all kinds of dollars, <clears throat> but you've got to make a decision who you're going to serve. And so you can't serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, uh, nor, what you, uh, uh, nor for your body that you shall put, what you shall put on. Is, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? And the body than raiment, I'm sorry. Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air... For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not better than they? So there needs to be a place where we trust God, right, in general, with our provision, right? Not our excess, but the provision, food, clothing, right? So you can trust God with that. He's going to take care of you. Verse 27, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Uh, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? So giving and faith go hand in hand. And trusting God with, you know, it's, he's saying, I mean, you don't even know how you grow. I mean, that's, you know, nobody, how, you don't sit around all day worrying about, is my heart going to beat? You just know God's going to keep your heart beating or you're going to die, right? So you trust God for your heartbeat. It happens. He makes it happen. So he's like, relax, man. Just, just trust the Lord. It's about faith. Verse 31, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. And when I read that, man, I finally learned what a Gentile was. You know, my mom used to call me a heathen when I was a kid. And... Uh, and I, I finally learned how all that worked in the Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, I am a heathen. But anyway, uh, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Right? So if God's now my Father, well, he, he's going to take care of my clothes. He's going to take care of, you know, I remember Amy and I got married at 19 years old. And I can remember, uh, you know, our combined income wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't $30,000. And I had an apartment and I had a car. And, uh, you know, I think we had two cars, didn't we? We had two cars and an apartment. And, man, I mean, it was like, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you here. <laughs> I need clothes and I need provision. And, uh, man, Lord, help. And that's exactly where God needs you. You know, those are great days. And just trust in the Lord. And so he says, but seek ye first, seek ye first, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
This doesn't say kingdom of heaven for you advanced Bible students, right? So this is not a, this is not a kingdom of heaven concept, right? Because we know the Jews, they inherit the earth, Matthew 5. We are on to something else. It's a spiritual inheritance. He's like, don't worry about the physical because I got more. I'll take care of that because your riches are much greater. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, it's all just stuff, shall be added unto you. So you get that too. It kind of gets back to that question you were talking about today. So, uh, so if you focus on the things above, you're going to get the stuff, whatever stuff you need, not necessarily what you want, but you'll get what you need, right? You find like that old what's that song? Uh, you find sometimes you get what you need. Who was that? Uh, hey man, good to see you, Brian. That's uh, Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, n- not Keith Richard. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah. But that's a, that they're talking about drugs. But I'm talking about Jesus, right? You get what you need because He provides it. So, uh, so you you seek the first, you seek His kingdom first. The priority is there, and all these other things will be added unto you. So take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so then that that it has to be balanced with the fact that you know you do need to plan and all that. So there's a ba- there's balancing principles in that. Uh, in the New Testament, so it's not exclusive to that. But there's a lot of principles regarding giving there that really help me out. Number one, it's by faith. And number two, it's about priority, right? It's what I prioritize, the kingdom of God or this earth. And so if you're prioritizing spiritual things, you are naturally or supernaturally going to want to invest in spiritual things because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So you invest all your time, your talent, your treasure in a job, Right? You spend more time learning about your job. You spend more time learning about what you do for your vocation. You spend all this time. Well, guess where your heart's going to be? Well, yeah, it's going to be there. You spend time reading God's Word, spend time in ministry, spend time investing in people, your heart's going to go there. It's all about investments. And if you want to get a good return in eternity, you need to invest in things that are spiritual. But God's like, cool, I get it. Give the first fruit. So um, the first, uh, that's another principle that, in regard to this that is un, unwavering is uh, in Proverbs, it says, gives, what's that verse that says, gives the first, give the first fruits of thine increase? Anybody got that? I'm going to look it up because I don't have it off the top of my head. Um, I'm cheating. That's another verse that I just, um, it's one word, not two. My my little computer here doesn't know that. Yeah, it's a... Well, no, that's not. It must be first fruits. Is it that? It can't be. No, I'm not saying that because it can't be. But I've, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely convicted that you're right because I should know that. Okay, so Proverbs 3, because everyone knows Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? So just keep going uh, in Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, it says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with, uh, with the first fruits of thine increase. That applies in every dispensation. Every, and what is a dispensation? I won't get into that right now, but I mean, that's another question. So all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you're never going to go wrong honoring God with the, if you, with the first thing you get. You say, you know what, God, you're my priority. I'm going to give it back to you. This week we're going to do, on Sunday, we're going to do a baby uh, dedications, which really isn't about dedicating babies as much as parents. 
the baby has been given by God, the parents got to be dedicated to raising it, right? Because this is the fruit of God. The fruit of the womb is his reward, Psalms 127. So we dedicate our children back to God is what we do. We give them, we acknowledge that God has given us this and now we're giving them back. That's easy said than done, right? The kids get older and it's time to empty nest and see them go bye-bye. You're like, oh, they're my kids. But really they're God's kids. They're God's kids. Why are we all wrapped up in them? Because where our treasure is, there's our heart also. Nothing wrong with that. We should have our hearts wrapped up in them. But the point is simply this, where our treasure is. So if you don't give back to the Lord, well, no wonder you don't have a real vibrant, you know, a real uh, fervent relationship with the Lord because your treasure's not there. And so giving is a, as much about putting our, our, where our treasure is, there's our heart also. So Pam brought up a really good point, and I'm glad she did. So a pra- another practical thing that we can do with giving, here at HBF, we teach uh, in our discipleship uh, tithes, offerings, and sacrificial. And then we get this, by the way, is a pattern uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, and all of these are giving, right? So, and some churches do this differently, but um, that's fine. This is Heartland. I'm not talking about every other church. So we use this. This is a pattern, all right? Uh, all of this, we find this in the. We found these. We find these. We already found this in Genesis, right? So we know where we found this in Genesis 14. Uh, so it's all Old Testament principles. Or pictures. And so this is the law of Moses here. But the offerings even. We saw Melchizedek making offerings. He was giving honor to the Lord. And so was and so there was offerings going on, by the way, all the way back to Genesis, right? Cain and Abel. God wanted the offering that God wanted him to bring, which was a lamb. And Abel wanted to bring offering that he wanted to bring, which was the fruit of his labor, his hand, uh, the fruit of his hands, which was the work of the fields. And God says, no, that's not how I'm rolling, because this is a picture, and pictures are important. So we break t- uh, giving down here practically in three ways, tithes, offering, and sacrificial giving. And that's, that was your point, wasn't it, Pam? And so what we say, what we call this at Heartland, this, is, uh, this becomes what you would see as regular, what we call regular giving. This is really a good opportunity to talk about this. Um, so, uh, so when our budget comes in, you know, people just give to the church. We, we recommend all members or anybody that's giving gives 10%, right, to regular giving. That's what I do. So I'm not telling you to do anything I don't do. So if I get a fat check from the IRS, 10% is going to regular giving. I don't give it to anything else. You can do whatever you want, but that's what I do. My, all the, the first fruits of mine increase goes to this. Um, uh, before anything, and I, I do give to other things, but this is the first fruits of my increase. Um, and then there's offerings. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of offerings. Uh, offerings, sin offerings, this offering, that offering. So uh, this is generic. We, don't, we do not tell you what to do with this, but this would be reserved for things that what we would call over and above. I can give you a long list of over and above. <laughs> So we can start on right now. So uh, what's the first over and above that we like to give to at HBF? Missions, right? So missions, let's, let's just do this. This is a good opportunity. Over and above. Yeah. 
So that would be one of the first places, certainly, and this church has a heart for, for sure, is missions, right? So what that means is, like, I personally do this. I won't tell you who or what or how much, but the, over and above what I give, then I give to missions. I've been doing this for years, since before I was here, right? So, uh, so there's certain amounts of money, and I don't even know the percentage, but I'll give to missionaries or missions, all right? So that goes there. So that's a, that's, now, that's not my tithe. That's over, over the tithe. You say, yeah, but doesn't the church already give some? Sometimes you don't know. It depends who I'm giving to. But uh, it doesn't matter to me because I want to I get in on that. So I do that. But there's other things, right? Uh, maybe there's um, special needs. I'll just call it that, right? It's like, what's some special needs that you can think of at HBF right now that you could be given to in addition to missions? Yeah, playground equipment, right? Uh, man, I could, again, I could give you all kinds of special needs. Cap, we call them, around here, we call them capital uh, projects, right? Because we need capital to do the projects, like concrete out front, uh, fixing our parking lot where it's going down south. Uh, we could go on and on. But there's a lot of needs that are special. Uh, but the playground equipment's one of those, right? So those are, that's a capital need. We can't just finance it out of our regular budget. So we need income somehow to come in. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. And God said... Let there be light. Praise God. And so special needs like, like playground equipment, capital improvement projects. Um, you know, another one is even, and there's other things. We have benevolence. Sometimes people give to benevolence. So out of our, uh, our regular, um, I don't know if I spelled that right, but our regular, our regular uh, budget, we take, uh, we were doing 1% of our regular budget uh, now it's this last year it was a half of it was a half a percent um but uh one to i want to we'll probably get it back up to one hopefully but we don't have so much money to spend on that and so there's t- sometimes people give toward benevolence to help pad that up a little bit so i just had a widow call me today and she needs help with her rent and so you know we'll, we got to deliberate on that and See if we're going to help her. And, you know, there's always things going where you need to help a widow or what have you. So benevolence. So those are things, you know, there's all kinds of special needs. And then we have sacrificial giving. Um, Now, this isn't so much about, you're not going to see this on your offering thing where it says regular offering. You will see that. Uh, You'll see light on it. And it's for things that are like missions or or, uh, there's some blank lines. There's uh, building fun, word first Bible, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, that's that's a, yeah. We also fund... Uh, Word First, right? Our publishing ministry. Uh, you might do, some people do life issues. You know, there's several ministries and missionaries uh, that, especially missions, uh, missionaries in particular, they get funded over and above. All right, so you get that. But this, this uh, the way we teach this, though, is, um, you know, sometimes we really dig deep. You know, sacrifice, what's sacrifice mean? You're giving up something, right? Most of this is even, the tithes and offerings, just be honest, for Americans, it's very convenient. Like I said, I've been tithing since I was 17. Haven't missed it because I never had it. I didn't miss it. And God's blessed me, right? So it's no big deal. And I've given offerings. You know, honestly, it often doesn't hurt that much. Sometimes it hurts, but sometimes it doesn't. And by the way, you got to watch that today. It hurt a lot more before easy credit. 
back in the, when I first got saved. Uh, when I gave, I used to count my cash out. I had to quit doing that because we had people stealing money, so that's ter- too terrible. But anyway, um, now I write checks. But I always was about personally taking the cash and putting it in the offering envelope because I wanted to see what I was given. And I wanted it to be an offering to the Lord. And I don't, I'm good with everybody that does online this and quick debit that. But there was something cool about saying, you know, I, got, I, got, I just got paid. I got $1,200 in my hand in, in cash, and I'm going, you know, 20, 40, 6, 120 bucks, boom, 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 in the, in the envelope. I'm going to turn that in on Sunday, you know, and, seeing the, and feeling the thickness of the envelope. There's just, there's just about me. I'm just, I was just that way, you know. Uh, and when I was, especially when I was young, uh, it was just really, it was important to me every week that, because I started to feel it. And so I got married. I'm like, whew. Hmm. <laughs> mm. But you know what was also cool is I had, I had seasons when I was like, and then it was like, man, I'm going to do an extra. Because you know what I learned is I just couldn't outgive God. And you start like going 10%. Well, let's do 20%. Let's do whatever percent. Let's just get after it and see what God does. And you can find that you can't outgive God. It's awesome. So anyway, most of what we do as Americans is tithes and offerings. And now because of easy credit, you don't even know when you're hurting or you're not because you just run up a credit card somewhere. It's better when you, you actually knew where you were at, which is I'm not going to eat this week because I just spent that money. But anyway, that's, it. That, that's my little soapbox. Anyway, so, but you can really do this really well. But the, uh, the sacrificial is when it's hurting you because you're giving something up. I mean, it's just I'm not going to get this. And we, you know, honestly, this is a lot of times when we talk about sacrificial, it's kind of pathetic in America because we're talking about Starbucks. We're like, can you sacrifice a Starbucks coffee once a week? And in this month, $20 will make this in a, in a, and it's true. It is, Gwaine did a little thing and he's, and he was right. If, if we all just gave an extra like 20 bucks of our regular giving units, I think it was per month, not per week, our budget was boom, right where it needed to be, you know, we, and it was a really light that's not, I wouldn't even call that a sacrifice. That's just kind of like a little offering, you know. And, uh, but, but, you know, when you get down, right down to it, sacrifice is what Paul's talking about in Macedonia. He's looking at these people going, you don't have this. What are you doing? Please. We're not asking you for this. This is, you know, too much. And they're like, no, we, we entreat you. You must take this. You're going to offend us if you don't. So this is like what happens when you go on a missions trip to India and you're sitting in some dude's house or in a slum somewhere and they roll out some chicken and rice and, and they roll out more food in one meal than you know that they can afford for a month. And you're like, where are they getting the money for this? Well, you just ate everything they got. And they don't know how they're going to eat this month because they want to honor you. You know, I mean, guys, that's that's what we're talking about. These people, then there's, there's, I mean, that that's a real. Those are real. Jeff's up there. Jeff, does this happen? Amen. Jeff knows that happened. It happens. So, if you've traveled and done a lot of missions, you'll know, man. There's some people out there like the Macedonians. And so, um, now, don't I don't want to put Americans on a guilt trip, by the way, because you are highly taxed, by the way, more than you realize. Um, and so. Uh, so you're highly taxed and you're being manipulated a lot. I get all that, but we're still the most, the rich, the poorest of us are richer than the, than most of the world. So also we just got to keep that in mind. And, and I, and I get, I get balanced every time I go away overseas somewhere 
And then I come back home, you know, I like look at my house. I'm like, man, I need another thousand square feet on this thing. You know, I, I need to read. I need to do something with this house. And and then I come home from a missions trip and I turn on the hot water from my nice hot water heater downstairs and get a nice hot shower that works great. And my lights stay on pretty much most of the time in my house and I get AC and heat. And I'm like, I'm living better than most of the world, man. What am I talking? You know, what am I? You know, I get caught up in it too, guys. I know what I'm talking about because I'm one of you. So when it gets down to sacrificial giving, that's giving what you don't have. I mean, not what you don't have, but it's, it's, you're going without something. You're like, you know what? We were going to go on vacation this year, but now we're not. We're sacrificing that. Um, you know, we were going to get new uh, furniture, but now we're not going to get new furniture because we got it. we're going to support this or that. That's the kind of stuff that got us into this building. It was people giving up a lot to get us here. And a lot of them aren't here. So many of them are gone home to be with the Lord. Um, and I know we're still paying on the debt, but they gave a lot just to get us started. And so, um, any other comments on sacrificial giving? I don't feel like I'm the, uh, you know, should be the, you know, that's sell all and go. So you can give. And we're not going to have a line item sacrificial, but there's times when we're when, when we give and it is sacrificial. Most most Americans are just dealing with obedient. That's where they're dealing with. And there's actually you wouldn't believe it, there's actually people that go to this church that are members that don't give a dime. And I you know what the good news is, I don't know who they are, and that's a blessing because if I did I'd probably not like it. There's when I was, you know, this first came to me when I was a young pastor, first few months out. So we started off with a nucleus, and you could pretty much, the nucleus was five or six families that started the church, you know, Harold's Basement. So it was myself and the Sloans and the Hatmans and a few others, you know. And so this was our budget. Well, you could almost just take a calculator, this many families, this many, da da da, hit it, and it's like, yep, that's about probably our average incomes, you know, combined, you know, that's probably it. So you kind of knew who was supporting the church. And, uh, and so we had this policy that I don't know who ties. I don't know who gives what. I know what the overall budget is, but I don't know who. And I learned about the first 12 months, 18 months, what a good policy that was. Because it was probably about 18 months in or so. And, um, and our church, just, it was like every two years we doubled, right? So we, were, we went from, say, 30, and then two years later it's 60-some people, 65, 70 people. And our, but our, I noticed our income wasn't equal to that. And it wasn't much more than what it was when we started there. I mean, it was more, but it wasn't, it wasn't like double more, like the number of people. And I realized, well, that's because the same people that started are the same ones. A lot of them are still carrying. And that's when I realized, you know what, I'm just for a second, my heart, I was like, man, that's not right. And as a pastor, the shepherd kicked in because these people that helped us that were starting the church, they were given their time. They were given their talent, and they were given their treasure. Just like many today in this church, time, talent, treasure. And they're not getting paid anything. They're burning up hours of their week. They're, they're investing heavily in the ministry. They believe what Jesus Christ is doing through this church. It's their church, not my church. It's our church. It's Jesus' church. They're all in, and they're also carrying the mail for all these other people that just come for the show. You know, They're just coming to see the entertainment every week, I guess. And so that was the first time as a pastor I had that twinge of like, whoa, man, what, what up, peeps? 
You know, you need to you need to be pitching in to help help because these people are laying it out. And so, um, um, you know, anyway, uh, I'm glad I don't know who doesn't give because I, I still don't know who doesn't give. But um, it can affect your attitude is what happens because it's an inequity, uh, especially when you see other people not only giving obediently, but even sometimes sacrificing. And it may not always be finances, but they're sacrificing time from their family. They're sacrificing time, you know, they're sacrificing. I'm not talking about, we got people in this church that live sacrificially for the Lord Jesus. They're working 40, 60 hour jobs and then working at the church 20 some hours a week, you know. And that's great. They're doing that for Jesus and God's going to bless them. Um, But those are examples of the believers in word and deed. And you know what? God blesses them and, and gives them the grace and strength to keep doing it. So sacrifice doesn't always just in finances, but those, that's three ways that financially you can also give. It's frankly easier probably to give your, your money sacrificially. It's easier to give your money, your offerings, and your sacrifices monetarily than it is your life. A lot of people will give out their money long before they'll give their life. And so that's another giving principle that we can all meditate on. So uh, when it comes to tithing, it's a great principle, but it's just a start. So that's it. I'm glad you brought that up that way because it kind of helps illustrate the whole point. So that's probably more than you wanted to know. But that's, uh, that's biblically. So you would put this, by the way, with a verse. That'd be, of course, Romans chapter 12, which I keep alluding to, but I haven't talked about. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove whether that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, is, is Paul is not, contrary to what our old lesson says, it says he commands us to give. He doesn't. He, he beseeches us. What's the difference between command and beseech? Right. So command is, is really is like do as I say, period. No, no, his fans or butts. Beseeching is a strong admonition. It's a strong ask, right? It's it's a plead, like Jeff said. So it's a pleading. So he's pleading, but he, you know what? A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if we don't offer it. If it's not of our fruition, if it's not of our own volition, then guess what? It's not a sacrifice. So sacrifices can only come from the heart. You know, you got to have a heart to give, and that's what Paul. That's why Paul so jazzed up on the macedonians because those folks were sacrificial givers and it it reflected in their in the heart the heart so that's a really good question anything anybody have any other comments on that or discussion all right so that's a really important one because where your treasure is there will your heart be also i might add on this uh, so the church by the way we give about we give 11 percent directly to missionaries we've got another two percent allotted for projects and missions is that right? Yeah, so that's equal. We give 13% of our regular offering that comes in to missions. So and it, so the church even tithes. And I've had pastors tell me, man, Brian, you are a F-O-O-L. Because that's enough money to, we'll do a lot of things, bring on, pay our staff what we ought to pay them. That would be good. Um, that's enough money to uh, bring on other staff, right, to help or to finance the concrete out front, or there's a lot of things we could look at, or buy playground equipment, or, 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 you know. But at the end of the day, when you think about our budget, that means uh, 70, or no, not 73, 
That, what that really means when you look at it? 13, that would be 87% of our budget. You know what that's spent on? It's us. No, no, it's not just on us and Sour. It's been on the ministry here in, in America, Cass County for the most part. It's supporting what we do here, right here where we live. So before we get all fired up and say, you know, why are we giving so much money to foreign missions? All right, what, you think, you think 13% out of 87%? I mean, 87% going here and 13% going around the world is a big deal? I think that's, you know, that's not much. Not when the needs are, when you look at the needs, there's a church on every corner. Now, America needs more churches, don't get me wrong. But we're talking, a lot of this money is going to places where there is no gospel witness. Good money. It's money well spent. Yeah, Ron? Okay, Hebrews 7, verses 4 through 6. Let's have a look at that. Chris, I'm sorry I didn't get to your question, brother. Hebrews 7, 4 through 6. Now consider how great this man was. Is that right? Oh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Yeah, which is recounting chapter 14 of Genesis in verse 18. So now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him and had the promise. And so verse 7 says, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that that, that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is with whom it witnessed that he liveth. And as I say, so Levi also, uh, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore the perfection were by Levitical priesthood... Okay, so he's pointing out what I was actually pointing out. I'm going to stop there. Basically what he's saying is that, uh, you know, before the law, uh, Melchizedek... Was the, was the high priest that was superseded the law, and tithing came before the law of Moses. And so, and then it was carried down to Levi, which ultimately gets down to a high priest, which he's getting into the Jesus Christ. He's making the, state, uh, the, the case that the priesthood of Jesus Christ is better than the law, because Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so that's kind of the, that's the theology that's going on in there. But there's a point there, too, that the, it kind of points out that the tithe uh, went, went from Abrahamic covenant to Mosaic covenant. And so there's that kind of crossover there as well. So that's a good, that is a great reference. So it is in the New Testament. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. But it doesn't say a, ten, a tithe. It says a, a tenth. So that's, the, that's why it's not mentioned there. And I say New Testament. I, meant, I mean, the Gospels are also a tithe and a mince in there, but it, uh, the Gospels our Old Testament context until the death of the testator after Jesus Christ dies is no longer mentioned. So when I say it's not in the New Testament, technically it is in the Gospels. Uh, but after Jesus, it's not mentioned after Jesus' resurrection. So, um, 
That's a, that's a peculiar, not a peculiar, a specific point as well. All right. Well, that was a good question. Um, Chris, we only got seven minutes, so we'll hold. We'll hold. Okay. Appreciate it. You can text it. That's right. So that was good. Uh, well, guys, so let's give our, our, our I think I think Romans chapter 12 is a great place to kind of meditate on. Ultimately, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? So when we invest our lives in the things of God, you know what? Our treasure will follow. And so, um, you know, you will not hear me doing a lot of money, you know, give, give, give messages because we teach the Bible. And the more you know Jesus, the more you naturally want to give back to him. And so once a year or so, I try to clear off a spot and, and talk about giving on purpose. Uh, or if, like I'm actually going to be talking about this uh, in Malachi because it's in the text. So when I'm in the text, I'll talk about it as I go through expository preaching. But I don't go out of my way to talk about it because we take care of most of this in discipleship. And uh, discipleship takes care. When you're following Jesus, following Jesus is about giving your life, right? And if he has your heart and your life, your money's no problem. He's going he's gonna to have that too. And so it's actually quite a joy uh, to see how God can bless that. Money is not that big of a deal, frankly. The more you learn of Jesus, the easier it is to let go of cash and things and money and possessions because they just mean so little in light of, of eternity. Um, and it's neat to see what God can do with them. But it's easier said than done, right? We all kind of come into this world grabbing stuff. And it's a whole other instinct to let go of stuff and leave our hands open and let God take stuff out. And so, uh, and I'm a human like you are, so it's a process, right? I would encourage you right now, wherever you are, um, you know, if you're like a zero giver, what I would recommend you do, I will tell you, I went from zero to 80, right? I mean, I went, uh, not 80, I went from zero to 10. (laughs) Uh, And so, and I tell you what, getting money out of me was hard because I did not trust the church. I didn't trust the management of the money. I was so cynical. Um, uh, I didn't believe that even the church I was going to at the time, I believed in my disciple, and I believed in the Lord. I believed in what the Word of God said. But as far as our pastors in our church, I wouldn't have given you two cents for them, um, the first, especially the main pastor until I got to know him. And the other pastor, I was like, I had to listen to him, which is it's a, ironic how that went down, but I won't get into the details. So the point is this. Um, uh, the point is this. I was super cynical, so I wasn't into giving money to the church because I thought they were like used car salesmen. I'm like, these guys are up there, especially, I mean, the one guy is on television. They got, he's got, you know, lit back then used to wear cufflinks and, a, you know, I'm like, man, what is this? This is some kind of money scam going on around here, you know? And uh, I'm Mr. Blue Collar, you know, blue jeans and t-shirt guy, and I'm like, well, this is the biggest scam I've ever seen. This is all about the money. Uh, I'm like, I couldn't, I was like, Earl, my, my disciple, I'm like, I can't believe he falls for this. So anyway, but what God did is over time, he just started melting my heart. And I can remember the first time I gave at church. So by the way, I went, I, I started tithing, but not immediately. So we're talking, this is months after I got saved, before I got to lesson 10. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm, it's the summertime, and I just got off work, and I went, we had this, used to have these conferences in the summer, these preaching conferences called Old McDonald's Farm or something. So we go to this place up in St. Joe, and they have these guys preaching and preaching. And man, I'm up there, and I smell like, you know, I smell like uh, hamburger grease. I just, I've been at High Boy flopping burgers, you know, in the uh, middle of summer. And I'm up there, and I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm listening to this preaching. I think it was George Grace, maybe, preaching. Whoever it was was just preaching the Word of God, and I'm just sitting there. And I'm listening to this, man, and I am like, this is, this is, this is heaven. 
I mean, this stuff is just, you can just, I can just feel it sinking in my soul. You know what I'm saying? I'm just so, and something that Earl told me, he's like, if I had to pay for everything I got from what God's given me through our church, I could never pay enough. That's what he always, he always told me that. And I'm sitting there getting, the, and I'm sitting here listening to this preaching, and I'm like, you know what, Earl's right. And if I had to, I can't get this anywhere else. This is some good, this is awesome. And so they had an offering, you know. And man, I remember, I got in my wallet, I pulled it out, and I'm like, all I had was like five bucks, I think, or seven bucks in my wallet, you know. And man, I, I gave all of it. I reached in, I pulled it out, and they passed that coffee can by. I put it in there. Now, I don't know, that pastor man stole it. I don't know. But anyway, I gave, I gave that money to God that night. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And I threw it in that bucket. And I'm telling you, it was like strings just bling, came off my heart. And after, after, after that, it was never like, it was just never that hard after that. It, it took me a while, though, to get to that point. And then, of course, I learned, and then I started, like I said, I started tithing. But it wasn't that long. It was within that, probably that first summer. I started, well, it was right after that. I started saying, you know what? I'm going to do this right. And I started tithing. And, uh, and then I never missed it. So start, my point is this. Start where you're at um, and test me. Try me. Don't give if you're, if you're like I was and you're super cynical. I mean, don't be a jerk face. Just, just, but, I mean, if you really believe what the Word of God says and you're all in, start there. If it's a buck, it's a buck. If it's a $10, it's $10. If it's $100, it's $100. Whatever it is. But start somewhere. And then see, you wait and see what happens, and you and you give to the Lord, uh, and I'm telling you guys, it's 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 honestly, it's easy, it's it's like really I should have been doing this a long long time ago, and it's not that it's really easy. It's grace, it's grace. God gives you the grace to give, and not just of your your money, but the three things: your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you can if you can manage your life to give time, talent, and treasure. Back when I was, I'll say this last story. Back when I was, at, back in the day in the work bit world, we used to do these, uh, remember the Franklin Covey st- stuff? You know, you had all these life management and all that stuff. So they had you to manage your life. It was, a, it was a knockoff of the old Franklin Covey deal that we had. And we had come in the office and everybody had to map out their life. And, and I was into it. I actually took it seriously, not because of work. I took it seriously because of what I was saying. I'm like, you know, how much of my life is being invested in the kingdom of God? And so I color-coded my life. Kingdom of God, you know, stuff that's going to perish. I had it all color-coded, and I had a wheel chart. Man, I had it all worked out. And, man, I was excited because I was investing a good portion of my life in the Word of God and the souls of men. Not just my money, my time and my talent. And... uh and I, I look back now, I'm like, I must have been OCD. But I was definitely all into that. You know why? Because when I was working there, I could feel the shackles of my job. And so anytime I could bust out and go down and preach at the mission, I was on it. Pat knows. He was down there with me. When I could bust out at lunchtime and go preach at the mission, if I would bust out at lunch, I would go preach on the street. I'd go hand out tracts. I just wanted to make sure that when I had free time, I wasn't wasting it. And I certainly wasn't putting all my eggs in this basket because they took enough from me. And so, uh, anyway, I just want to encourage you. Look at your life in a big picture and say, how much of my life is and my time, my talent? My, you can't do 100%. If you're working a regular job, you're going to have a lot of time invested in it. But, man, make sure you're investing your time, your talent, and your treasure in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other stuff will be added unto you. It's about first fruits. And you make that first, the other stuff... It'll come. It'll come. So it doesn't mean you don't go to work. It just means what's most important. 
And that helped me so much, too, because I could go out in the car as I got more mature. I started going out to my car at 5 o'clock, weight of the world on my shoulders. I would go, Lord, I'm casting this care on you, and I'm going to go do ministry. Boom, I'd start up the car, and I'd go home. And I just started shed, shedding that stuff. And the less I cared about that, the, I've told you already my testimony there, God, the more God blessed. Just put your life in order and invest in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to meet.